Good morning. Um, it is really good to be here with you this morning. I want to give you a Project 6K update. For those of you who don't know, Project 6K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. Way back in January, we challenged ourselves as a church as a body of believers, to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. And as you can see, we've passed our goal, and we are moving on to, I don't know what number, but it's going to be a good big number. So we're at 6,381 books read to date. I know a lot of you are doing the uh, Sprint to the Finish Challenge. So a lot of you have finished Luke, and now you're in Acts. I hope you're enjoying that as much as I am. Um, it's just amazing to read what went on in the early church. We'll be talking some about that today. Before we do that, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you for the beauty of your creation. Father, this time of year with uh, the beautiful moon that was bright this morning, with the beautiful crisp air that we have with the beautiful golden leaves that we see around us. Father, we see you at work all around us. Father, thank you for being the God who creates and sustains. Father, we also thank you for the way that you work in the lives of your children. Father, the way that you work to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word, for the scripture the way that when it's written on our hearts, it transforms us. Father, we thank you for your spirit that lives in us and its transforming power and work in us. And Father, we thank you for this body of believers. We thank you for our church family. And Father, help us to be the kind of family that is deeply involved in each other's lives, that knows each other. And Father, that calls and spurs each other on to, to good works and good deeds. And Father, to be the kind of body that, that leads each of us to live a life that's very much in the image of Jesus Christ and follows in his steps. And Father, this is our prayer through his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, today we're continuing our latest sermon series and we're talking about the new me. And in this series, we're talking about how God has made it possible for us to be born again. How God has made it possible for us to leave behind our old selves and be transformed into new creatures. New creatures that have the same mind, that have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And to remind us, to help write on our hearts the promise of new life through Jesus Christ, we're doing something every week during this series. We're rehearsing together three short scriptures We're reading them, and we're listening to them, and we're repeating them. What we're doing is we're working to move those scriptures from our fingertips to be written on our hearts, where they won't just be available at our fingertips, but they'll be available on our hearts and always on our lips. The first scripture that we are rehearsing every week is in 2 Corinthians. You find it in chapter 5, and it's verse 17. And there Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Let's say that part together. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. We're also rehearsing Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. 
Paul wrote this. He said, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We were buried with him in baptism so that we may live a new life. Let's say that together. We were buried with him in baptism so that we may live a new life. And finally, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let's say that together. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in us. That's a remarkable thing to be able to say, isn't it? To be able to say Christ lives in me. And we know that for this transformation to take place from the old me to the new me, for that to take place, it's what's inside us that really matters. That's why we've put so much emphasis on the importance of writing God's word on our hearts. We're doing that because God's word works on us and God's word works in us to transform us. And it transforms us when it's become a part of us. See, we begin to live God's word when God's word begins to live in us. So unlike the old me, the new me always has God's word available to me. Not because it's on my phone and not because it's on my computer and not because it's on my Kindle. It's always available to me because it's living in me, because it's engraved on my heart. And because it's in me, it's transforming me. It's transforming my mind. It's transforming my heart. It's transforming my thoughts. It's transforming my attitudes. It's transforming my words. It's transforming my actions. So to live a new and transformed life, it's what's inside us that really matters. And that's why we can't lose sight of the importance of the Spirit. Can't lose sight of the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Spirit brings new life to our new lives. The Spirit animates our lives. And because the Spirit lives in us, it's transforming us. It's transforming our minds. It's transforming our hearts. It's transforming our thoughts and it's transforming our attitudes. It's transforming our words and it's transforming our actions. See, unlike the old me, the old me that was animated by my selfish desires to do only what was good for me, the new me is animated by the Spirit to do good to all people. To do good to all people because the Spirit of God is living in me. So when it comes to transformation, it's what's inside that really matters. But it's also what's outside that really matters. You see, not only are we profoundly affected by who and what is living in us, we're also profoundly affected by who is living beside us. God not only does his transforming work through his word and his transforming work through his spirit, he also works to transform us through his people. 
So our transformation from the old me to the new me is dependent on what lives in us. But it's also dependent on who lives with us. We know that's true, don't we? We know that we're powerfully shaped by the people around us. We know that's true. You know, I'm so much like my dad sometimes that it scares me. And I'm so much like my mom sometimes that it scares her. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? Our, Our parents mold and shape us. Our families mold and shape us. Much of who we are is because of who they are. It doesn't stop with our parents. Kathy and I have been married for almost 36 years, and we were pretty much inseparable for three years before that. And much of who we are is because of that 40 years that we've spent together. We've been changed. We've been transformed, usually for the better, maybe sometimes for the worse, but we are changed and transformed by the people with whom we live And that really shouldn't surprise us. See, it shouldn't surprise us that God gave us not only the transforming presence of his word and his spirit within us, but God also gave us the powerful and transforming presence of his church for us to live within. That's why God has called us into the church. That's why God has called us into community. That's why God has called us into the body of Christ. God has called us into family so that we could be transformed by that family. And also so that we can help transform the others in that family. See, God gave us a new family to help transform us into the new me. And he gave us a new family to help us transform it. We need to realize that we were given to each other. We were brought together to help transform each other. And that transformation can only take place if this new family lives its new life together. So what does it look like for this new family to live its life together? What does new me living look like in a new family? Well, I can tell you what it looked like in the very first church family. And I can tell you that because Luke tells us what it looked like in the second chapter of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, Luke describes for us what it was like to be part of that first church family. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, new me living for that family in the first century Jerusalem sounds a lot like many of our families, doesn't it? They were devoted to each other. They took care of each other. 
They spent lots of time together. They did lots of eating together. Sounds like my family. But they weren't just devoted to each other. They were also devoted to the teaching of God's word. They weren't just devoted to each other. They were also devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. They weren't just devoted to their family. They were also devoted to the things that made them a family. And they didn't just take care of each other. We're told they had everything in common. We're told that they chose the needs of their family over their own possessions. They gave up what they had so that they could take care of others who had a need. And they didn't just spend time together. They didn't just have weekly family reunions. They met together and they ate together and they did that every day. And when they were together, they were praising God together. And because they were together like that, Together the family was being renewed. Together the family was being transformed. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's a part of this story that we just can't overlook. See, this new family was witnessing daily new birth. See, we shouldn't overlook the fact that a vibrant, an active, a caring, a close-knit, a praying, a God-praising church generates new life. That's what naturally happens. Just imagine with me for a second what it would be like to be part of a family where at least one new baby was born every single day. Yeah, there's some families in here that have come close, but imagine what that would be. In your extended family, if there there was news of a new birth every single day. In case you haven't heard, Kathy and I have a grandson. I know that's news to many of you. James was born just a little over a year ago. And our family can testify that James being born into our family has been much more than just having another lane around. See, when new life comes into a family... The family's changed. The family is transformed. Our family has been changed because of James. We're a better family because of James. We're a closer family. We're a more united family. We're a happier family. We spend more time rejoicing together as a family. We're a more thankful family because of this new life that's been brought into our family. And the same thing was happening in Jerusalem. See, because that family had everything in common, new life was coming into that family every single day. And because new lives were coming into the family, new life was coming into the family. They were being renewed by that new life every day. See, the family was transforming new lives, but those new lives were also transforming the family. And what held this transforming family together was the same thing that brought this family together. They were brought together and they were held together by Jesus Christ. They came together and were held together because they had Jesus Christ in common. 
And because they had Jesus Christ in common, they had everything in common. Because they had Jesus Christ in common, they had everything in common. See, they didn't share their possessions because they had joint ownership of those possessions. No, they shared their possessions because they were jointly owned by the same master. They shared with each other because they were all slaves of their master, Jesus Christ. That's the point that Paul makes in the third chapter of Galatians and also in the third chapter of Colossians. I'll just read what he wrote in Galatians chapter 3. Starting in verse 26, Paul says, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Then he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There is neither Republican, Democrat, nor Libertarian. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. At least that's what my version of the Bible says. See, if we have Jesus Christ in common, we have everything in common. That first family, that first church family had everything in common because they had Jesus Christ in common. And sometimes I'm afraid that we act as if our task in this life is just to muddle through. Just to muddle through this life all alone until that day that we're finally called home finally called home to live with Jesus and live with his other disciples for all eternity. But that just isn't true. See, Jesus died so that we could live life together with him now and live life together with him in the future for all eternity. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 10. He said, Jesus Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You hear what Paul is saying? He said, Jesus Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are alive or we are dead, we may have life together with him. Paul's saying that if we plan on living life together with Jesus in the future, we also need to start living life together with him now. Paul's concerned. Paul has a deep concern that children are going to be falling away from the family, that children will start leaving the family, that children will stop living together with Jesus now. His concern is that if they stop living together with Jesus now, they won't be living together with him in the future. So Paul says, live life together now and stay together now. He says, encourage each other, build each other up now so that you won't fall away, so your brothers and sisters won't fall away from the family so they won't leave the family, so they won't stop living together with Jesus now. Paul says, encourage each other. He says, build each other up. He says, do that now, so that we'll be able to live together with Jesus now and in the future. 
The author of Hebrews echoes Paul's concerns about children leaving the family. So he writes an encouraging word about our need to encourage each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. What does it mean to consider how to do something? Well, this is one of those cases where the English translations don't really do the Greek text justice. It's a real struggle to know how to capture the flavor of what's being called for here. See, the author of Hebrews is saying that to consider each other is to look at each other. It's to pay attention to each other. To consider each other is to be thinking about one another. It's to dwell in our thoughts about each other. To consider each other is to really focus on each other individually. To focus on each other's individual needs. To consider is to really study each other. To work at knowing each other's needs. See, the author of Hebrews is saying that our minds should be occupied with each other. We should look and think and focus and study and be occupied so that we can know how to stimulate, so we can know how to encourage each other to live transformed lives. To live lives that are filled with love, that are filled with good deeds. So we can live lives where we do good to all, especially to the other members of our family. And this is one very good reason why we need to make sure that we don't miss opportunities to be together. So some of you right now are bracing yourselves for me to nag you about your church attendance. I want you to know I don't intend to nag anybody. And I want you to know that I recognize that simply being at worship services, simply being in Bible classes, simply being in small group studies, simply being at various church functions, simply having each other into our homes, that doesn't mean that we're really living life together. But it's a really good start. And I recognize that simply being at worship services, simply being in Bible classes, simply being in small group studies, simply being at various church functions, simply having each other into our homes, that doesn't mean that we're really encouraging and building each other up. But man, it's a really good start. Because how can we consider each other? How can we spur each other on? How can we encourage and build each other up if we aren't together? How can we look and think and focus and study and be occupied with each other if we aren't together? How can we have all things in common if we don't spend common time together? We need each other. 
That's why we were given each other. We need to live life together with Jesus now so that we'll all live together with Jesus in the future. That's why we were given this family. I don't want to nag, but I do want to encourage. I do want to build us up. I do want to spur us on. Spur us on to love and good deeds. I do want to encourage us to live life together with Jesus now so that we'll live life together with Jesus for eternity. I don't want to nag, but as we end, I want us to reflect. I do want us to assess. I do want us to consider if we are providing the considerable, considerate help, the considerable, considerate help that we all need for this to be the family that we are called to be the kind of family that we need to be. As we end, I want us to ask ourselves, if we are living the kind of lives together now with Jesus that will lead us to all live life together with Jesus in the future for eternity. So reflect with me for a moment. Consider with me for a moment. Do we as a family really take advantage of our family meeting opportunities? To make it more personal, do I as a member of this family really take advantage of our family meeting opportunities? Do we as a family encourage or discourage each other? Do I, as a member of this family, encourage or discourage the other members of my family? Do we, as a family, have a tendency to build each other up? Or do we have a tendency to tear each other down? Do I, as a member of this family, build up or tear down the other members of my family? Do we as a family take advantage of every opportunity to do good to everyone, especially to the other members of this family? And do I, as a member of this family, take advantage of every opportunity to do good to everyone, especially to my brothers and sisters in this family? See, we're a good family. I love this family, and I know you do too. But I also know that this family is a work in progress. I know that this family is a renewal project. So my call to you is let's write God's word on our hearts. And let's be guided by his spirit. And let's not give up meeting together. Let's build each other up. Let's encourage each other. Let's consider each other and how we can spur each other on to love and good deeds. Let's really live life together with Jesus Christ now. And together, let's look forward to the day that we'll be living life together with Jesus for all eternity.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this family, for this body of believers. Father, I thank you for all of my brothers and sisters, and I thank you for the love that we have for each other and the love that we have for you and your son and your spirit. Father, I thank you for the way that you are transforming us every day. But Father, we want, we want more. We want to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So Father, my prayer is that you will help us to live life together as the family that you intended us to be so that we can be a transforming presence in each other's lives. Father, so that we can grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ together. And Father, so that together we can look forward to that great day that we will be together forever in eternity with you and with your son and with each other. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So as we end, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song and we're going to praise the God who loved us so much that he sent his son to the cross so that we could live life together with Jesus now. And we could live life together with Jesus forever. Let's stand and praise our God. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd,